0: This Valentine's Day, Duncan's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer. This is Mike Weinberg, author of New Sales Simplified, the Essential Handbook for Prospecting and New Business Development. And you're listening to the one and only. Marketing Book Podcast with the incomparable Doug Burdett. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in
1: the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Mike Weinberg, and we're going to talk about his book, New Sales Simplified, the essential handbook for prospecting and new business development, which was a number one Amazon bestseller and spent a year as the number one top-rated book in its category. Mike Weinberg is a consultant, coach, speaker, and bestselling author. His specialties are new business development and sales management, and he's on a mission to simplify sales and create high-performance salespeople and sales teams. Mike can talk about sales because he has done it. He was the number one producer in three different companies before launching his consulting practice, and he's been named a top sales influencer by Forbes, OpenView Labs, InsideView, and several other publications. Mike is also the author of Sales Management Simplified, The Straight Truth About Getting Exceptional Results from Your Sales Team. That book has been called arguably the best Book ever written on sales management and an unequaled blueprint for leading salespeople and building high performance sales teams. A transplanted New Yorker, Mike has called St. Louis home for almost 25 years. Mike, congratulations on New Sales Simplified and Sales Management Simplified, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Doug. I'm excited to join you today. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, Mike, there's an elephant in the room. I read on your bio that you're an NFL fan too. (laughs) <laughs> so what yeah. a, What about the Rams going back to LA what's 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 going to happen in Mike Weinberg's world
0: there's a dark cloud hanging over my city of St. Louis you know and I'm not a native here and honestly I'm not even a Rams fan it's been you know they've been the losingest team in football the last dozen years or so and it's poorly run organization but I'm so sad for this poor city that's lost its second team in about 30 years yeah and it's real. and what's really a shame is the way it was handled this owner I mean, he's the antithesis of what you want as a leader. He was he was private, he was secretive, he didn't talk to the public, and then, boom. So I really feel bad for the the Rams fans here, and obviously for the city. And I'm, I I actually changed my my Twitter profile, my bio to say former NFL fan about two days ago, just uh. I'm so disgusted with the league and with Cronky. So thanks for starting us off with the elephant, Doug. Well. <laughs>
1: Mike, it's only going to get better, Ah, at least in this conversation. So That's right. A Good. So this is the Marketing Book Podcast, but I, I honestly feel that I cannot have enough authors of great sales books because I heard somewhere that you can learn more about marketing from sales than you can from marketing. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but the more that marketing people understand about sales, it's my sense that they are much more effective at their jobs.
0: Preach, I'm just going to say preach, preach, preach. I wish, I wish, 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 wish more marketing people would get in the car with a sales guy or sit in the inside sales office and listen to the real, you know, we hear about the voice of the customer all the time. Yeah. I'd like them to hear the actual voice of the customer and, uh, and watch how their materials and their messaging gets played out uh, when salespeople try to incorporate it. I would be, it would be my fantasy. To have marketing and sales more more joined at the hip, for sure.
1: Yeah, and and traditionally, you know, there's been this in some companies. I'm sure you've seen it. This hostility between marketing and sales. You know, they might even be on different floors. They're not sitting near each other, and you know, uh, sales thinks that marketing or you know maybe a bunch of arts and crafts party planners. Uh, the make it pretty department. And then the the marketing people might be thinking, well, the sales guys, they're not even following up on all these sales that were the leads that we're generating. Some of the leads may not be good, Mm -hmm. but there's not this, there's not this, you know, there's no service level agreement. There's no, there's no integration, but it seems that despite that sales and marketing, there's like a gravitational pull that's occurring. That's just forcing them to work together more closely.
0: Well, I I wish they would. And especially now, because I think even beyond some of the traditional reasons that there's tension between you know uh, how materials are created and what's usable and what's not, you you kind of waded into the into the deep water there when you started talking about leads. And in today's world, especially, I saw you've had uh, Mark Roberts, who I think is one of the finest minds in sales today. Oh, yeah. You know, Mark's from, from HubSpot, and uh, I loved his his book, The Sales Acceleration Formula. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty cool to see an MIT engineer, you know, tackle tackle sales process, right? And uh, we couldn't be more different. I'm completely anecdotal. And you know, he's as process driven as you get. But you know, when you when you bring up uh, leads, then it's a natural transition to talk about inbound marketing, which is still a really hot topic today. And that whole confusion today in the sales world where there's a lot of sales people thinking they're not responsible for creating their own demand anymore. It's it's marketing's job. It's inbound marketing. It's mm-hmm. permission marketing. It's content marketing. So there's this there's this pressure on the poor marketing people who who now if salespeople are looking and going well, it's, yeah, I'm not supposed to drum up my own business and create opportunities. You're supposed to hand them to me on a platter. So I think I think the tension's even deeper today. If you know what I mean.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. And, and more confusion. And speaking about HubSpot, I use HubSpot. I'm, I'm an agency guy, and we use HubSpot. We use it for clients, and I'm a big fan of it. Uh, the product as well as the company, and what they do is a lot of their companies like mine. They're they we sell, you know, we use their software, so they they provide a lot of uh, channel support to uh-huh. agency folks. So they're always uh, they always put together training and so forth, and that is how I learned about your book from uh, David Weinberg at HubSpot, who is a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hello, David, and they recommend your book. Very which heavily. Is, Did you know that? Which is fat.
0: Yeah, I do. And in fact, when I found that out a couple of years ago, I almost fell out of my chair. Because in some senses, and you have seen this, I make fun of the 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 Kool-Aid pushing inbound marketing people that tell you, well, prospecting doesn't work anymore. Yeah. yeah you we're, know? We're, but we're, these guys, see HubSpot, they're transparent about it. They're the king of inbound and they preach inbound and they're the best. I no one's gonna argue that. But they have an outbound sales team and they reach A big work. one. Yeah. Yeah. And they're really good at it. So what I love, and I love telling salespeople about that, that, who try to quote to me, well, the inbound folks say this doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, no, the inbound people have their own outbound sales team. <laughs> they, they do, do
1: advertising.
0: <laughs> both, <laughs> right. So so salespeople wake up. And when the king of inbound marketing has an outbound uh, group, and they're even reading my book, and for, particularly for some phone technique and, and for message sharpening, wake up. You got to do both. It's great when you get leads, do your inbound. F- frankly, do all the social selling, and, which is really marketing frankly, and, and building relationships and getting noticed early. But then there's also a time when it does make sense to pick up the phone and engage somebody and say, hey, we should talk. It looks like you may struggle with these things or be trying to achieve these results, and, and we help a lot of folks that look like you. Why don't we get together and at least visit? You know, that that still works today, although the people that take the, hub, the, the HubSpot message to the extreme will tell the, the poor, confused salesperson, well, that prospecting and proactively pursuing Companies that aren't coming to you—that's dead. Don't bother. And that's where I get—I get concerned when people take it too far. Uh,
1: not only that, just to add, in, in case you didn't know this, HubSpot has sales reps who are making cold calls. Hmm.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that they had. They went as far as cold call. That's fascinating.
1: HubSpot makes yeah. cold calls. Now I don't know how much, but I remember being told that by an executive at HubSpot who's in that area, and I was just interested to hear that. So in other words, they're not. They'll be the first to say, you know, inbound marketing. Those are the greatest leads, but they take the, some of the new guys and put them in this. Uh, mm. some, some of the uh, the cold calling part.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I, first of all, I find it completely refreshing, and honestly, it's that truth is what the average salesperson needs to hear, because it's so easy to fall victim to the deadly voices that preach these dangerous lies, telling salespeople that prospecting doesn't work. Don't you dare cold call. I don't even use the phrase cold calling because it, it creates this visceral reaction and everyone shuts down. I'm like, we're not talking about telemarketing and cold calling in that sense. You're a business person. You're calling another business person. You've got a solution to a problem they potentially have. You should want to talk to them. They should want to talk to you. Make the call. So I, I'm, I'm so relieved when we can point people even to this podcast with, with you sharing that, that info. I didn't even know about HubSpot because it removes the excuse. You do it all, all marketing that works to draw attention, to create demand, to get noticed, to make the prospecting call easier. Do it all because most salespeople suffer from a lack of opportunities to work and sitting on your butt waiting for something to happen is not the answer when you don't have enough opportunities in your funnel. Mm
1: -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Let's 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 talk about feelings, Mike. I just got to share with you my feelings, what I kind of experienced while I was reading the book. And you have a very blunt, and I think refreshing style. Well, you're you're originally from New York, so I, it, it reminded me of all my years living in New York, working on Madison Avenue. It's just I miss that. <laughs> yeah,
0: you sound like you're too nice to live in New York. The oh way well,
1: you they, they kicked me out for not being nice. No. <laughs> no, I I loved. I, I'm. You know, I live in Virginia and I grew up in the South, but I loved living in New York, and I I, I have a lot of friends back there. Mm-hmm. But what I should disclose to you and the listener is that when I was younger, I was actually hospitalized twice from concussions sustained in boxing injuries, which is has been great because I've been able to use that as saying, well, I got I got a couple of screws loose. But your book, when I was reading it, it's it reminded me a little bit of being in a boxing match, and. Being hit early on, I mean, being hit hard by an opponent at the beginning of a match and you go, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> I, well, you, you pay a little special attention. And so that's, that, was my, that was sort of my feeling like, yeah, okay, bring it, come on, let's go.
0: <laughs> yeah, As you know, Doug, some of that is the New Yorker coming out. Some of that is utter frustration yes. with yeah. salespeople yeah. that have every excuse in the book and they don't ever want to look in the mirror. You know, and when I get called into a company, usually it's because things aren't great. Every once in a while, a really healthy company with a great sales culture that's killing it in terms of growing the business brings someone like me in to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, if I'm getting a call from a senior executive, if it's not for speaking just for a meeting or training or workshop, but if they need help, it's because it's not working right. And you know who's always scurrying and hiding is that mediocre average salesperson that doesn't want to admit, that you might be able to help them or they come out with this line right away. Well, how much do you know about our industry? And what we do is really different. And, and I start looking like, well, let me ask you some questions, you know, about, do you have to name strategic, you know, target accounts? And do you need appointments? And do you have to conduct sales calls? And do you have to follow? I mean, it's sales, right? I mean, I have clients that range from the most extreme confidential work I do with a defense contractor, all the way to folks that make, make and sell trucks, you know, and, and consultants and printers and, uh, I mean, it's, it's it, I'm dealing with the same issues in all the companies. So I come out swinging hard early in the book with that list of the common reasons that most yes. salespeople fail. The not-so-sweet
1: sw- not so 16 reasons salespeople fail at new business development.
0: And I use that, Doug, I use that material almost every time I start a workshop because it levels the playing field. And I tell people, I'm not trying to put you on the defensive. Let me show you why I see other good salespeople failing. You're not alone. Point, yeah, you're not alone. And it's and listen. And here's the piece. Here's the area where they fail. Because there's people that are really good at product, really good at relationships, really good with the technical part, but they're not good at picking up new logos, new clients. And I show them why. Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't. I say I'm not accusing you, but this is what I see in all these different companies. These are the common reasons. Which two or three or five of these sixteen maybe are most relevant for you, and then we can dive in and help you. And I've just found when I'm really extreme and blunt early on. It kind of gets everyone realizing, okay, okay, he really is a sales guy. And I think I get away with crap with, when I'm leading a session because I am a sales guy and I bleed sales. So I'm not coming at it like some arrogant consultant or some executive who's pointing fingers at the sales. I'm like, no, I'm one of you and these are the mistakes I make. Let's talk about it because we can fix them. So yeah. that's why I come out swinging so hard.
1: Yeah, and that the sixteen we don't need to go through all of them, but I mean that is worth the price of admission just for those. What are some of the biggest ones of the sixteen that about why people salespeople fail at new biz development?
0: Mm, I'm going to give you two of the most provocative ones. Yeah, uh, and the, the, and I'll give you the the bottom line on one of them is people in charge of selling and picking up new business, unfortunately. Spend very little time selling trying to pick up new business and it, and it, and a couple of those reasons are, are near the end of the list. one of them is we play good corporate citizen and that and that ties into the other one where we forget our primary job and we babysit our existing accounts and it, this is it's, it's one of the most dangerous ones because it seems like the salesperson you know they feel like they're doing the right thing. I mean who could say I'm not adding value if I'm serving an existing customer? but what happens is the people that don't like to go out and hunt for new business, they find every reason to over and to babysit and to bring donuts or to do the milk run and just see their favorite accounts because, oh, I'm servicing them. I'm loving them. I'm making deliveries. I'm checking in. Well, at some point, that becomes an excuse, a very convenient but dangerous excuse not to go out and have the hard conversation with a growable customer or a prospect that doesn't buy from you at all. So when you when over you overserve your existing customers or you sign up for the Halloween party committee and the safety committee, and you volunteer to do, you know, do this, all these other projects in the company. That's just playing good corporate citizen. That's just another way of keeping yourself from doing the difficult selling work. So that's number one, would be people in charge of selling don't sell enough. And then the second real issue, and this one's hard for me to share, but intellectual honesty kind of forces me to, there's a lot of people in sales roles today that are not cut out for selling. And they're definitely not cut out for hunting. You know, there's folks in roles because they've survived and even thrived during great economic times or when they were part of a hot industry or they were selling a really great product and there was a lot of inbound demand or they were managing business that was thrown their way and they were good at it. But those same people who I like to call zookeepers, they're nurturers. They love serving, cleaning, feeding the animals under their care. That's how they're wired they're never gonna pick up a weapon and go out and the hunt. That's like the opposite of how they're wired. Their mm-hmm. DNA is to nurture and care for a zookeeper. And that's not an insult, that's a, that's a, that's a very important talent. But that same person is not gonna go out and prospect and cold call and bust their way in and bust up other relationships to get, that's just not how they're wired. So, so they fail because they hate the conflict and the risk and the rejection that comes along with prospecting and hunting. Mm-hmm. So you take those two things alone that, that I get a ton of business just because there's confusion about how salespeople should spend their time and what kind of roles should we have in a sales department.
1: Yeah. And you talk about the one third, one third, one third. Mm-hmm. Explain that.
0: Yeah. I, I, that's a very simple thing. I, at the very end of the book, I get to that when we're talking about dividing up our time and you know, our business plan. For simplicity's sake, I've divided the sales funnel, for lack of a better term, into three categories uh, hot deals. Active opportunities and targeted accounts. I mean, I, I got some clients that like, go into their, their company and they, I, they open up their salesforce.com for me and they've got 17 stages of the sales cycle. I'm like, that's great, but I can't tell you what the heck's going on when I look at this. So I've I got three. I just show me the three. You know, I want to see it graphically on paper what, what's hot, what's active and what's targeted. And the way I come up with the third, the third, the third is most of us in sales, including me, when I'm working on a hot deal, we default to working on what's hot. Mm-hmm. It's in our face. We're trying to close it. We want to get the thing to the finish line. And we kind of become like OCD about the handful of deals that are right there. And we do, we pray over them. We obsess over them. We, we you know, we get locked in instead of doing the responsible thing, which would be spreading our effort out over other opportunities or even prospects in various stages of the sales cycle. So, the third, third, third is my way of telling salespeople I'll give you a third of your life. You can obsess over those deals that are hot and try to close them. But then you've got to spend another third working those active opportunities where you've got a dialogue going. You're, you're, in, you're in conversation. They're not quite hot yet, but you're going to work to get them to hot, to proposal, to contract, to negotiation stage. So, keep working those. But for goodness sakes, that last third, you've got to give that one to me. And I want that last third of your time spent targeting those accounts that we're not working with yet mm-hmm. right, or the growable customers that you've been ignoring because they're hard and they buy 10% from you and they should be buying 50. And I, what would happen, and this is my question really, what would happen to sales results Doug if the, if the salespeople would stop just defaulting to working what's in front of them and what's hot, but they'd carve out a full third of their sales week or their sales month to work on those targeted strategic accounts that look, smell and feel like our best customers or the really tough global customers that we kind of ignore because we want to work on the easy stuff? What well, would happen?
1: It, 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 based on your book, it's showing that uh, the, the results can be rather dramatic. That's why at the end of the book, you talked about, I think it was the end, or maybe, you said like if you just spend, let's see, two time blocks per week of two hours each, you can get exponentially better results
0: in a lot of my clients, that's a true statement. I've got some, I had, I was working with a couple of mortgage companies during the, the refi boom back a few years ago. And these jokers were making a fortune refining their four or 500 clients in their portfolio over and over and over and over again. Cause every six months rates would go down and they'd refi. And I was one of their clients. I did it all the time. And I said to them, what would happen if you guys spent four or five hours a week actually prospecting real estate agents? So you picked up some purchase business, Well, things are good before every one of your competitors starts going, you know, when the the rates go up and you stop getting to do refis, what are you going to do? You're going to starve. Why don't you go cultivate those relationships? And in a lot of my clients, the the salespeople do almost no prospecting. And frankly, I have an expression I use every day. I say, no one defaults to new business development and prospecting mode. No one. Because there's always something easier or more attractive or more urgent. There's a customer service issue or there's someone you love that you want to go service. That's great. But that's not going to keep the top of your funnel full.
1: Yeah, so. and and that that one thing where you say no one defaults to prospecting mode—that was the biggest takeaway I had mm. from the book, and I think about it every morning now. So uh, you know, and I'm I'm starting to block out time because it's like you know what, Weinberg—he he's got my number there. Uh. I need I need to prospect more, and I'm like, damn, he 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 called me. <laughs> He called me on that. you know. Let me make
0: one last statement on, on time blocking because you brought it up there. Uh, here's a characteristic I'm seeing in top producers everywhere. And I wasn't using this phrase when I wrote the book a few years back. Selfishly productive. I'm telling you both executives, managers, and salespeople, the best ones are selfish in a good way. They are ruthless with their time, and they block out time to work on high-value activities because in today's corporate world, everyone's putting work on your desk. Everyone's sending you emails. They're filling up your calendar with invites. Stop that nonsense. Get to your calendar first. Put in the time blocks to do what you got to do, and if you're in sales, that means new business development because you're not paid to babysit a territory or a book of business. You are paid to find new business. Mm -hmm. That's why you make money. So if you time block and you're selfish, you're going to be a lot more effective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there you talk in the book about the new sales driver. And it's basically again, you know, Mike, I, I, I'm sure you've heard this before, but you really own simple. <laughs> you own yeah. simplified. It's, it's the new sales driver and it's A, B, and C. Select targets, create and deploy weapons and plan and execute the attack. And in our remaining time, I was wondering if we could just go through some of this. If you could explain a little bit more about selecting targets. In the book, you say, choosing our target accounts, which effectively also means choosing how we should be investing our time, is one of the few truly strategic things we do in sales.
0: Mm, love that you picked on that, picked that up as a marketing guy. Doug, that is true. It, selecting strategic targets is the first step in my framework for a reason. It's one of the very few chances in sales to be strategic, where you get to think. Most of what we do is road, but the, the chance where you get to decide how you're going to spend your time is where, who is worth pursuing. And that's where we kind of started that conversation earlier. Who's the ideal profile customer? Mm-hmm. That's where marketing and research really comes in. Yeah. Because e- even the best salesperson is going to fail calling on the wrong targets, or they won't be as effective as they could be. So which strategic prospects whose business do you really want, where you're a good fit should you pursue? And again, if it's the type of salesperson who has a territory or existing customers they manage, they're all not created equally. And I see so many guys that live on autopilot, you know, just kind of following a, a route or going through a CRM list. Forget that. Who's most growable? Spend your time where you can move the needle. So, And what, what drives me crazy on the targeting thing, management abdicates too often here. They, they don't dive in and help the salespeople. They take it for granted that their folks are calling on the right people, and that's stupid. It's, it's too important to leave just to the reps. I think all the way up to senior management should be involved in that decision. So that's targeting.
1: Mm-hmm. And now on the, on the deploying the weapons, you could describe what, what these weapons are. And then we really want to focus on uh, the one that I thought was really super relevant for marketing folks was the sales story.
0: Yeah, the story is clearly our most important weapon because pieces of it end up in all the rest of the weapons. Uh, the weapons that I say you want to be armed with certain things as a salesperson, and you probably have a few dozen of them. Uh, The most popular ones would be email, um, your sales story, the the voicemail you leave somebody, probing questions you would ask on a sales call, presentation stuff, follow-up material, executive selling, bringing executives along with you, trade shows, social media, proposals, referrals, all that stuff. You have all these things you can use. I call them weapons because you're firing those weapons at those targets that you've named in the first part of the framework. Mm -hmm. The story... By far is the most important one because you use it every day, and it shows up in your in your other weapons. And when I say story, I'm not, I don't mean the art of storytelling, which is very important as a salesperson. I use the word story where other people would say value proposition or even elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like to use the word story, and I've created something I call the power statement, which puts together key elements of the sales story.
1: Mm-hmm. And for the listeners' benefit, the the three crit- critical sections or building blocks to the sales story are. Again, one, two, three client issues addressed and then your offerings, and then what your differentiators are now you do need to get into the book because there's a it's it's a good bit of the book, but I saw that, and I mean even as an agency owner, I'm looking at that saying, "Oh wait, I got some more tweaking to do here <laughs> yeah. but it's great i mean i I've already started working on it, and it's it's very helpful thanks but the one the one thing
0: i um, I comment on there is I am religious about the order in which we use those elements I'm the the thing I'm trying to most get sellers to understand is you gotta lead with the issues on the mind of your customer or your prospect that's what's gonna get them to put their guard down and to trust you and to invite you in for a dialogue when you lead with their pain their problems their outcomes it's about them when you lead with your offerings you're asking to get commoditized and when you lead with your differentiator sometimes that helps but it could come off really self focused. We're so wonderful. We've been in business 89 years. We're the biggest. Those might be differentiators, but sometimes I'll say, so what? Yeah. But, yeah. But you never hear so what when you talk about we help you reduce this, this liability or increase this result, or that's the stuff that's going to get you, it's going to earn you the opportunity to have a conversation.
1: Yeah, you say prospective customers are not interested in what you do. They are only interested in what you can do for them. And if that's a, a, a thought that I, you know, we use in marketing and advertising, we, we we're talking that same sort of thing. <laughs> People don't care, but the difference now is that they don't even have to listen to you. They can tune you out from a marketing standpoint. And another thing you had, there's just so many solid gold nuggets in the book. One of them when you said, when you lead with client issues – you get a prospect's attention fast. And then when you get into the mm-hmm. probing, you, one, another one that I just loved was he said, When you find a scab, pick at it. Yeah. I
0: mean, that's, you know, that's just some of the good old basics. It's basic more sales that training. blunt
1: stuff, though, but it's, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, here's what happens. You can't be afraid ha- to pick at it.
0: Because you get sales guys on a sales call and they'll ask one question that will uncover the prospect has an issue. And then the salesperson starts to drool all over themselves. They start counting the commission dollars and they switch into pitch mode. And I'm like, stop it. Have some patience. Act like you've been here before. If, we, if they have pain or you discover there's an opportunity to help them, ask a follow-up question. So you have this issue. Well, tell me more about that. And what have you tried to fix it? And what's that costing you? And you know, tell me, That's the way that you're, you're uncovering really the potential ROI as you are going to frame your presentation, your proposal around, well, you, then you know more. So just because they have the issue doesn't mean you should run into pitch mode. Keep digging, peck at that scab until they bleed for sure.
1: <laughs> and finally, the last part is plan and execute the attack. And there, uh, back to your comment we had at the very beginning about uh, the inbound marketing. You said, "You know, this is where you go forth and do great prospecting, but or or hunting." Mm-hmm. But you say. I feel obligated to warn that the worst myth being perpetrated by the 2.0 crowd is that we no longer need to make proactive telephone calls to prospects. Mike, it seems that um, this is the hardest part and that all of this you know, social selling and inbound marketing is very helpful, but it's also turned into a bit of a crutch. True?
0: True. True. Social selling is awesome. I have business all over the place from Twitter and my blog and friends and people I've met online, mm-hmm. and it is a great piece of the puzzle. But the words I've, I think I've, I haven't had this early in the book. These new helper, these new helpful tools and toys and platforms are great supplements to, but not replacements for mm-hmm. our traditional prospecting efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and my friend Anthony Anarino, who's I think really got one of the, the finest sales minds on the planet. He, Who wrote the foreword to the book? He did write the forward to the book. And he's, he, write, he blogs every day at thesalesblog.com. And I mean, he's one of my go-to gurus. When I need help on something, I go to him. But mm-hmm. I even brought him into a big client because they needed his, the, something he's really good at that where I'm not as strong. So he, he likes to say that the, the telephone is the protein on the plate. You know, we talk about we're trying to build our meals around our protein. Mm, um, yeah. you, can't, you can't have a legitimate new business development sales attack and pretend the phone's not part of it. Unless you're so hot and your inbound marketing is so effective that you have more leads than you can get to. And I don't know hardly anybody that has that situation. You've got to carve out time to pick up the phone and proactively initiate contact with people on your list that likely have the issues that you can address for them. And if you have the right mindset and the right attitude and good voice tone, and your story is sharp and centered on that customer's potential issues, you can earn an appointment. And I've got a whole chapter in the book on best ways to use the phone and how to use voicemail. Is it hard? Yes. Are the odds against you? Yes. But do I have all kinds of clients securing huge appointments with dream prospects because they're focused and they have a list and they're effective? Absolutely. So yes, do social. Yes, do inbound. Yes, do content. Yes, ask for referrals. But when those don't lead to enough opportunities, you got to take it upon yourself. Pick up the phone and get a meeting. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you know, it makes me wonder if because of all these other what I'll call crutches or all these other things that people want to use instead of the phone, are there actually fewer people making proactive telephone calls, do you think? I do think. Mm, I do think. Big opportunity there.
0: And a lot of people that do them are still pathetic because no one's mentoring them because their managers, and that's was led to my second book, but their managers live in, you know, as a desk jockey hunched over a CRM screen trying to lead the team by email. instead of mentoring and coaching and developing. So it's, yeah, the the effectiveness of salespeople is definitely taking a dive. So yeah, there are less people making calls and the ones that are doing it are poor. So if you're good at it, you have definitely a better chance of reaching someone or earning a callback from perseverance and creativity and dripping little value nuggets in your voicemails.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Mike, if, if readers took only one thing away from the book, which thing would you hope it would be?
0: that your business may be complicated and there may be a lot of noise in the sales literature today, but prospecting a new business development is simple. I mean, that's, that's really the message. It's not, and that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to remove the mystery. It's not that hard. There are all kinds of non salespeople that pick up my book and go, finally, thank you. I know what I need to do. I got to make a list of ideal profile prospects. I need to sharpen my story and build some weapons around that story. And then I need to fill my calendar up with more time working on new business. And if someone put a gun to my head and said, how do I increase sales? That's what I'd say. Make a great strategic list, sharpen your story, and then launch that story and spend more time selling. I promise you, you'll find opportunities, fill your pipeline, and close more deals.
1: It reminds me of, you know how to lose weight. It's, it's my understanding. It's a matter of exercising more and eating less. The problem is you actually have to do it.
0: Mm. Yep. So You said it, simple. You know, it's Simple. It's not hard.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you, the, the problem is you actually you actually have to do it. So, are there any recent uh, sales books that you would recommend uh, for the listeners? And obviously, there's a lot of uh, marketing uh, folks listening, but uh, there are sales folks listening too.
0: Yeah. There's a great book. If you're interested in prospecting and you like my message and, and my content, you would really like Jeb Blunt's new book, uh jeb wrote a book called fanatical prospecting
1: yeah he's gonna he's gonna be on the show Pick oh well
0: great i mean we, we've become friends In fact, i asked him to write the forward we wrote the forward each of us wrote the forward for each other's other's new books that i read fanatical prospecting and i wrote the forward to that book and i i said in there and i mean this this is the most important book written on this topic ever and i got a book on this topic because he took he took what i have in a handful of chapters and made a whole book out of it because he he is so frustrated that people aren't prospecting and they're telling it's not working and he's aligned with me and Anthony and a bunch of other guys that we might even be called old school because we're, we're reminding people that everything hasn't changed. Yes, a lot has changed, but you got to drown out those voices telling you that nothing that used to work works and he, that book's really helpful. If you want to know how to get appointments, I mean, he, he even goes into like text messaging, and how do you incorporate all of that into your sales efforts? So I think Jeb's book is great. Uh, a new book that I, I have, I purchased a few weeks ago for my Kindle, The Challenger Customer, and I was checking out your podcast, Doug, to prepare, and you had a phenomenal conversation with Patrick. Oh, um,
1: great book. Great yeah, and
0: book. great book. Um, you know, And it's, it's selling great. Not a lot of people are talking about it. And it, it doesn't have a ton of reviews, which I'm surprised. I need to dive in because that's an issue. And I don't agree with everything that CEB says in terms of the research, But there's solid nuggets that anyone could take away from the Challenger sale. And obviously, I haven't read the customer, but you love that book, it sounds like. Oh, I
1: did. And as I mentioned in the interview with Pat Spinner, I said, you know, that book, probably more than the 50 I've read before it, really shook me up. (laughs) Even more than yours. I mean, that one, I, I, I read the Kindle. I then bought the book just to have it on my desk because I, it's, it's helping me rethink a lot of content strategy for my company and my, and my clients. But it was, the, the other thing about the book was, and people will, we'll link up the, the the interview I did there, but you read this and then you, they, they, they put forth all this, these, this new thinking information about content marketing and strategy. And I think, yeah, well, how do you know? Then they bat, they've backed it up with hundreds well. or thousands of interviews it's just, uh, that's
0: great. Yeah. You, you can miss me. I, I owned it. And then after I listened to the podcast, I thought you were awesome. And, and so was Pat. I'm like, okay, that's my next book. I'm reading it. I just got to open the, the stupid Kindle and read the book. So yeah, I appreciate, I, I need that. And I definitely recommend fanatical prospecting. And then there's this other new sales book out by a guy named Weinberg called sales management simplified. And, uh, it's, it's even more brutal and blunt than my first book. That Weinberg he, guy, he, he's, he's on, trying, He's on. Fire. I'm trying. So yeah. if you have any interest in looking at what a great sales culture is, should look like or what, what sales management could be if you're in sales or if you're an executive and you're frustrated with your sales manager or your sales team. I, I, uh, I hold up a mirror in that book for you to look into. So
1: I yeah, it, it you almost that. makes me wonder is that I, I, I must have been, I haven't read that one, but is that where the CEO can read it and say, are, are we, is my sales manager even doing the right kind of stuff? I mean, you yes. described a sales manager as having his head down in the CRM all day. Does does this the sort of thing where they could look yeah. at it and go, oh, wow, there's a little bit of a disconnect between what we should be doing and what we are doing?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll take 30 seconds and just please, share that. I'll please. give you the, spoil, the spoiler alert. I I took a big risk writing this because I told tales on real executives and real sales managers. And the problem in a lot of companies that I get brought into to fix their open quote sales problem isn't as much the sales team as executives want to think it is. Yeah, the sales team could do better and all the stuff you and I've already talked about sharpening your weapons, owning your calendar, being better on the phone, running a better sales call. We can improve the salespeople. I get that. The bigger issues are in the executive office and it's the culture they're creating among the sales team. And it's burying the poor sales manager in so much crap that he can't lead the team, meet one-on-one with his people, get out in the field. And it's all the pressure and the CRM reports and the stupid compensation plans that don't incent salespeople to work on the things we need them to work on. So I went nuts. I took I took what 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 I did in the first book. And I mean, you
1: actually named.
0: People. I didn't name names, but I told okay. true stories. And about the, actual companies. Of real companies, yeah, that I was in, and the, did you know your the Lawyer, or look people. at
1: this, or. I don't. I don't
0: use lawyers. Um, <laughs> okay. No, I I told the truth, and you know I it was I didn't wow. break any confidentiality. I, no one would. Know, no one outside those companies would know who it was about. Only oh, okay, the people okay. that would know. But but I wanted to send a wake-up call because I'm a sales guy at heart, and I'm so frustrated with executives that don't understand the sales management role or they're always whining about their salespeople when they create an anti-sales culture, they have stupid comp plans, they have the wrong people in the wrong jobs, and they don't let the sales manager do their primary job. Well, whose fault is that? That's the executive's fault, and that's why I wrote the book so the executive can have a wake-up call and a blueprint for what great sales management and a healthy sales culture should look like, and that's why that book is getting crazy amount of reviews because I I went bananas telling the truth, because even though I get paid to go do sales training, it was driving me crazy that, that we couldn't transform sales organizations by training the salespeople. We got to deal with leadership and culture. So that's what really was the impetus to, to, to go and go through the pain of writing another book. Oh, and that's great. So send, I'll send you one as soon as we get off the phone here.
1: Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I, what, what it reminds me of is companies that are complaining about social media because they're getting a lot of complaints from customers. <laughs> but, boss, that is not a social media problem. That is a product-service yeah, we have, we have delivery problem. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Well said, Doug. Exactly. It's, it is sort of like they're complaining about their sales team. Uh, well, maybe they're doing what you've incented them to do. Amen.
0: Amen. Book is on the way to you. So thanks. Let me share that. I I think they go together really well.
1: Okay, great. The name of the book is New Sales Simplified, the essential handbook for prospecting and new business development. The author is Mike Weinberg. Mike, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Doug, this was the most fun I've had an interview in forever. You're awesome. Thanks for having me and I look forward to uh, speaking with you again.
1: And that closes the book on episode 64 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for show notes, free resources, and marketing guides. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Again, that's marketingbookpodcast.com. I've got a question for you. What did you think of this interview? How am I doing? Let me know. Me up at hashtag marketingbook. Do you have a marketing or sales book recommendation? Just hop on the Twitter and use hashtag marketingbook. It really makes my day when I hear from listeners like you. Seriously, it does. And please join us next time as we talk with Carlos Hidalgo about his book, Driving Demand Transforming B2B Marketing to Meet the Needs of the Modern Buyer. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.